Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is taken from this gospel lesson, which is the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Well, Jesus does battle in a rather interesting way. He does battle with the Word of God. He always says in response to every temptation that is laid against him by Satan, he says, it is written. Martin Luther was once asked how it is possible that he was capable of being able to, well, the Reformation had such an incredible impact, and how is it that this happened? And Luther said, rather interestingly enough, he said, while Amstorf and I drank beer in Wittenberg, the Word did it all. The Word of God did it all. There are very few things in life that bind us all together, common experiences that we all have. But one of them is temptation. Every single person knows what temptation is. Sometimes we use the words in a rather innocent way, like we might say, I'm very tempted by chocolate, or I'm very tempted to say what's on my mind. But then, of course, there are the more serious temptations that we also face in our life, and that is temptations that we could describe on the basis of the Word of God, I mean the Ten Commandments. We could say that I am tempted to well, worship other gods. I'm tempted to take God's name in vain. I'm tempted to not observe the Sabbath day. I'm tempted to dishonor. I'm tempted to hate. I'm tempted to lust. I'm tempted to steal. I'm tempted to covet. These are all things that are reflected in the Ten Commandments. But there is another kind of temptation which is deeper, more profound, which is, I guess you might call them the mothers of all temptation. And these are the temptations that Jesus faces in the wilderness. As he finds himself after 40 days not eating, and Satan comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, command these, these stones to become loaves of bread. Then he takes them, him to a high precipice upon a temple. And he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. He'll give his angels charge over you, as the scriptures themselves say. Then he takes them to a high mountain and he shows them all the glory of the world with all of its wealth. And he says, all this I'll give to you if you just but bow down and worship me. These temptations go at the very core of our faith. That is to say, the temptations against the commandments are one thing, but temptations to actually lose faith are the most significant of all. And those temptations are reflected in each of these types of temptations. The first temptation is a temptation to doubt God's care and providence for our daily needs of life. The second temptation becomes the temptation of doubt as to whether or not God is even present in our lives. And the third temptation is the question of whether or not the future is going to be secured 
by God giving us his good gifts or whether or not we need to take matters into our own hands and seek the glory which the world has to offer. Temptations, of course, are things that raise questions in our mind as to whether or not we've got the ability to handle them. They will always be. In fact, the word temptation is also a word which also means testing. We are tested when we are tempted. And like the kinds of tests that we all know is a testing of our faith, the testing comes in the form of our knowledge. You know, we take tests when we go to school. We take tests whenever we have to get our driver's license. We take tests to see whether or not we know God's Word. We are tested when we are challenged with our endurance. We have people in our congregation that are triathletes. They are iron men, and they know how to be able to endure great things. Temptation and testing comes whenever we have to question if we have the endurance to stay in this faith when we face trials. And of course, we also have those tests that test our character. Like the story of Joseph and his brothers, his brothers who had sold him into slavery. Now when he's the ruler of Egypt, they come to him, and what does he do? He lays before them a test to see whether or not they have in any way changed from the way that they were before. Jesus, of course, is now facing three tests that the devil lays in front of him. If he is going to go 40 days without eating, is he being mistreated by his heavenly Father? If he is going to be hungry, is he going to take matters into his own hands and say, there is no longer any care or concern that God has for me, therefore I'm going to have to simply use my power to be able to accomplish whatever it is that I need. Jesus is tempted and tested for whether or not he is going to trust in God's providential care, whether or not he could, by jumping down from that temple, see whether or not, in fact, God truly was going to care for him. And Of course, Jesus is going to be tested to see where his confidence lies in God's good gifts. Is it to be found in the world, or is it to be found in the worship of God? We might wonder why it is that if Jesus is the Son of God, if he is true God, though he be true man, why is it that he would have to be tempted at all? And we have some answers from the book of Hebrews. It says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He goes on to say, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
There are three things here that help us to understand these trials that were laid upon Christ. To begin with, we are told that through this human nature, he is able to come to understand also in his temptations the kind of temptations that we face. In his testing, he comes to understand and not only understand, but also it enables him to perfect that prayer before his own Father on our behalf. Having gone through suffering, he understands our suffering and can pray for our needs. The second reason is that it says he came in order that through this temptation and testing he might be able to defeat the devil. The temptation, the testing was something that wasn't just for those days that he was in the wilderness. It went all the way to the cross. And there, even at the cross, we hear the same words of the same tempter. If you are the Son of God, come down from there and we will believe in you. Satan's power comes in his ability, his strength, his power to accuse us. That is to say, he is going to say to us, you're not a child of God because look at you. Look at your life. Look at the things that you have done. Look at all your sins. Look at all the things that you failed to do. Look at how it is that you so easily give in, so you easily sell out. Look at how stupid you are. You don't even understand what God's word is saying. And he accuses us and accuses us and he makes it seem to us as though God could never care for us at all. So what God does is he lays the exact same, if not even greater, trials and tribulations upon Christ. And guess what he does? He does not ever lose his faith. In fact, by the way in which the devil accuses and ultimately takes his life, Paul says, had they known what they were doing, they would not have taken his life. Why? Because God took all of our sins, all of our failings and he laid them on Christ and when Christ died at that cross he atoned for this text says he atoned for the sins of the whole world so that now the one who was perfect has now become us and we who are the imperfect sinful people have now been given the righteousness of Christ he destroyed the power of the devil which is rooted in the fear of death. And now we need not fear death, which means we need never despair of God's grace and mercy. And the third thing that Jesus accomplished by this temptation was this. He teaches us and shows us how it is that we do battle with the devil and his temptations when they come. The first thing he does is he gives to us a weapon. It's a weapon that we gave to Max today. The weapon is in this text right before Jesus goes out into the wilderness. Jesus is baptized in the river Jordan by John the Baptist. The Father speaks from heaven and the Spirit descends upon him and the Father says, this is my beloved son. Jesus was not baptized for his benefit. He was baptized for ours so that we might know that when that little baby is baptized into Christ's name, 
that God has now made him a child of his and that he has the righteousness that Christ earned for him. That is to say that he can go through his life and no matter what deprivations he may find, that the word of God, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. It means that when God's word speaks something, that God's word can even make a person live for 40 days in the wilderness and 40 nights without eating. Jesus is pointing us back, isn't he, to the time that Israel was out in the wilderness? Where for 40 years, by the word of God, manna fell from heaven and fed some 3 million people. That same word of God could speak and a person like Max can for the rest of his life be cared for and that's why it is that when that temptation to raise the question can God take care of me little Max can always say it is written he became a child of God in the waters of his baptism we also know that the second weapon that Jesus gave to us as he gave to us when we are facing those same times that Jesus faced as well when he was upon the pinnacle of that temple. The question would always be, is God even here? Is he even present? Is he in any way watching over me? The devil quotes Psalm 91, tells him that the word of God says that the angels are going to take care of him. The only thing is, is that he takes out a little piece of the psalm so that it changes the meaning. And Jesus, instead of debating with him, simply says, it is not right. You cannot test God. What does that mean? It means that when temptations come, it's a little bit like the kid who is being, sub, uh, being offered drugs at school. And when they say, why don't you take some drugs, instead of the kid saying, well, you know, they're not really good for me. I don't really appreciate the fact that they could probably addict me and I might die someday. He turns, turns around and says, my mom and dad said I can't. My parents would kill me if I took drugs. You say, they said it. And when we are tempted with temptations, whether it be to sin or temptations to doubt, even in those times when we question if God is present, all we have to do when those temptations come is say, it's not right. God said it is written, don't tempt him. The third thing that we have to take into consideration here is that as Jesus is taken to that high mountain and there he, is see, he sees the glory of the world before him. Can you imagine? We sell out for a 20% raise in salary. We sell out for just a little bit of money, a little bit of fame, a little bit of fortune. And Jesus is offered absolutely everything that the world has all he has to do is bow down and offer his worship to Satan. Now that, of course, doesn't mean that he merely bows down to Satan, but rather that he bows down to that idol of wealth and fame and prosperity and power. And Jesus tells him, no, that the only one to be worshipped is God himself. And what he is saying is this. That where it is that we find lasting treasure, 
where it is that we find something which cannot be taken from us, but where it is that we find happiness in life is not to be found in those material things, it's not to be found in money, it's not to be found in fame, it's not to be found in power, it's to be found right here in the worship of God. Because here in the worship of God, this is where it is that he washes away our guilt. This is where it is that he tells us that we have a future that is not just temporal, that is eternal. This is where it is that he promises us that he will never leave or forsake us. This is where it is that he takes us and unites us here even in this body and blood of Christ to Christ himself so that the power that is in him now comes to be the power in us. And this is the greatest and the highest and the most precious treasure that the world has to offer. That's how it is that we resist and overcome the power of the devil in our life because all we have to do is say, it is written. That's what we do. Are you ready? Are you prepared to be able to handle these trials and these tests in your life? It is written. Are you prepared to be able to face deprivation? It is written. Are you prepared to be able to stand independent from the influence of the world with all of its deceptions and wealth? Just remember, it is written. Like Luther said, the word does it all. Amen. May this peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep your thoughts and your minds, your faith in Christ Jesus, unto life everlasting. Amen.